Good morning. My name's Einar Skolsvig, and I'm an elder here at Grace Community Church. And it's my privilege to bring you the message this morning. Uh, but before we get started with that, it's time to dismiss the kids to go to Grace Kids uh, Sunday School. So I'd invite the preschoolers to go and join their teachers that are waiting for them over there. So you can do that now. And uh, I also invite the uh, elementary age kids to join them as well. And then we also have uh, junior, or Grace Youth, uh, Junior Youth as well. So there is a class for you. So this is the time to make your way out for that class as well. Oh, it's a lot emptier now than a few moments ago. It's amazing. Um, I had the privilege to serve as games leader at our church's VBS at the beginning of July. And I saw a lot of the kids that participated just leave. So it uh, kind of refreshes all of this in my mind. And, uh, but when I was looking around uh, during that week, um, you know, I could really see that God's blessing was on this event. And I really recognized the amount of prayer and preparation that many people had poured into this. We had a team of around 50 volunteers that were serving here. And it was amazing to see how they all served in a unified way. And that they presented the message of the gospel of Jesus in a very clear, direct, powerful, and credible way to the 110 kids that were participating in the event. It was truly a remarkable week. I appreciated everything about the week, but I think what may have been most impactful for me was working with my small team of leaders uh, running games. And I want to give a shout out to those leaders this morning. I see at least one of them here. Uh, because they were amazing. So there was Jamie, Marcus, Ronan, and Hunter. And I just found that these leaders were engaged, energetic, humorous, creative, and also very dedicated. And they made all the campers that came and played games feel welcomed and valued. And they were also a very big encouragement to me. Now, having said all of this, I'd like to speak about one of my helpers this morning. Uh, you may know him. His name's Hunter Franks. And I found out that Hunter was going to be helping me about two weeks before VBS started. And um, I have to say, I was a little concerned because the last time I'd had any meaningful interactions with Hunter was before COVID. And he was a pretty rambunctious five or six-year-old, so I didn't know what to expect. Anyhow, we met on, on the Monday, the first day of VBS in the morning, and he blew me away. He hit the ground running. He, he, he was ready to work hard. He was always looking for the next thing to do. And by the second day, he was running his own station. And it was just amazing. So he really served well at VBS. However, the way he served me in, in a very impactful way revolved around the snacks that were being served here at VBS. And if any of you know me, that shouldn't be a big surprise because I'm known to have quite the sweet tooth. Uh, but anyhow... Uh, it was on the second day, on Tuesday, that Hunter came out to me and he said, you know what, we were doing games outside the doors here, and he said, you got to come in and get a snack. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it, you know, I'm just busy, I'm trying to get the, 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 the game set up for our second rotation. He said, no, no, you got to come. And I said, yeah, I'll come in a minute. And anyway, I never did come. And then the second rotation went through and he came out to me, he said, these snacks, you can't, they're unbelievable, they're so good. And he said, you got to come in and get them. And I said, yeah, 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 I'll get to them. And I, I don't think he believed me because 
all of a sudden, he, he wandered off, disappeared for a few minutes, and then he came back. And to get my attention, because I'm six foot three, he's about four foot something. Anyway, he came and stood in front of me. His hands were closed like this, and then he slowly opened them. And in one hand, there was a brownie, and in the other hand, there was a blue and green earth-themed cookie, and, and they were in pristine condition. I don't know how he did that. It was amazing. Anyhow, uh, but this act of service touched me deeply and will be something that I always remember. And then I thought about why was this, and it was because his, his act of service was sincere and genuine, and it demonstrated love towards me in a simple but powerful way. You know, service is something that Jesus not only instructed his disciples to do, but he modeled it throughout his life. Sometimes we, we come to scripture and, uh, you know, we're not sure how should we interpret this? What does God really want us to do? But when it comes to service, there's no doubt. Uh, Jesus left no doubt for us as to how we're supposed to be serving others. And just to kind of reinforce that and to look at our scripture for this morning, uh, I'm going to turn to uh, John chapter 13. And I believe the scripture will be up on screen so you can follow along. This is the NIV. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And in typical Peter fashion, he replied this way. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, do not just, uh, do not just, uh, uh, <laughs> then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you is clean. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than, their, than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want to speak uh, this morning of service as a spiritual discipline. Now, this might sound a little odd to some of us. Even when I think of it, I, my mind gravitates when I think of spiritual disciplines towards prayer and uh, studying the Bible. And I think that's correct. 
Uh, these are important things that we as believers need to do to know God and his will. But I also believe that service is an important spiritual discipline. And as I was thinking and preparing for this message, I was having a hard time organizing my thoughts around this. And this is when God took me back to my grade 13. Yes, there was a grade 13 at one point for younger people. Um, to my grade 13 chemistry class with Mr. Ferguson to give me an analogy that helped kind of clarify my thinking on this, and hopefully it'll help you this morning. There are some chemical reactions that take place, uh, but they take place so slowly that for all practical purposes, they don't really occur. But chemists have discovered that if you add another substance to the chemical reaction called the catalyst, it will speed this reaction up and uh, result in more products. So a common uh, reaction that requires a catalyst that some of you may be able to relate to is uh, the catalytic, catalytic converter on your car. So our cars emit, and I, I think they're getting better and better at this, and if you have an electric car, you won't have one of these, but for an internal combustion engine, uh, there's emissions of carbon monoxide and of nitric oxide. I mean, I'm simplifying this. There's other emissions as well, but these are the two I'm going to look at. And these are toxic substances for the environment. Uh, carbon monoxide con contributes to greenhouse gases. Nitric oxide produces acid rain that can destroy forests and lakes. But through a chemical reaction, these things can be turned into substances that are not dangerous for the environment, and that's water and nitrogen gas. But on their own, this chemical reaction of these products, uh, or of these reagents, I mean, uh, is very slow. So chemists have recognized that if we add a catalyst, in this case platinum, it speeds up the reaction. So our reagents of carbon monoxide and nitric oxide produce many more products, which are the water and the nitrogen gas. So how does this tie into what I'm talking about this morning? That's a good question. Um, but I see similarities in our spiritual lives. In a spiritual context, I see the reagents, like our carbon monoxide and our nitric oxide, being prayer and reading scripture. So these are necessary ingredients that we have to have on the table so that we can know God and know what his will is uh, for our lives and for this world. And on their own, these spiritual disciplines of prayer and reading scripture can produce some fruit in our lives. But... I think in a more limited way than is necessary. But if we add the catalyst of service to this reaction, then I think we'll get more fruits uh, of the Spirit and that will be a more effective witness to the world. St. Francis of Assisi, who was a monk in the 13th century in Europe, clearly right, recognized this connection between his spiritual life and service. He knew the importance of spending time in prayer and reading God's word. He believed it was more important to know God than to know of him. And he dedicated a great part of his life to studying scripture and prayer. But he was inspired by his relationship with Jesus to serve. John Michael Talbot wrote a book called Lessons of St. Francis. And he described the impact of his reading of scripture and of the life of Jesus on St. Francis and uh, his willingness to serve. And this is what he said. Uh, Most Christians celebrate the incarnation of Christ as man around Christmas time and ignore it for the rest of the year. But for Francis, the incarnation served as a minute-by-minute -minute reminder 
to be deeply involved in the world, loving people at close range instead of from inside the strong, stony walls of a monastery. As in the case of Francis, we need to find our inspiration for service uh, by building our relationship with Jesus through reading God's word and prayer. When we know Jesus personally and understand what he did for us at the cross, it will inspire us to serve others. But if we choose to stay inside of our stony walls um, of security and comfort, our spiritual growth with, with Jesus, I think, will be stunted. Service allows us to step outside of those walls and be in a position of trust with God. But what does God-honoring service look like? And how does it shape and transform our lives and the lives of those that we are serving? That's what I want to talk about for the rest of my message this morning. And I have four points to cover this. So the first point is that Jesus asks us to serve because there are real needs to be met. So I'm going to turn to uh, James chapter 1, verse 27, just as my verse to support this point, um, and here it is. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So service begins with a posture towards the well-being of others and being attentive to their needs. Who are the orphans and the widows that we brush shoulders with in our everyday lives? Do we step towards them and help, or do we look elsewhere pretending we don't see that need? You know, during my first year of university, I, I recall a, a morning when I was heading to the library in a, in a rush. I think it must have been a midterm for one of my engineering courses. Anyway, I was very preoccupied with it, and I cut through the university center. And as I went through the university center, uh, I saw a booth that was set up by Big Brothers of Guelph. And uh, I saw there was a poster. They were looking for volunteers, but I, I felt very preoccupied with getting to the library and getting down the work. Uh, for some reason, and I believe it was God, kind of stirred up in me a kind of a desire to come back. So I, I, I did come back to the booth, and I started talking with uh, the volunteer that was at the booth, and discovered that not only were the boys, uh, there, were, there were many boys waiting for a match in Big Brothers, um, but that there was also, they were also looking for volunteers to keep those unmatched boys active in a group, and they didn't even have volunteers for that. So when I heard all of this, I felt compassion towards this, and I signed up. I had no idea that Big Brothers would become a huge part of my life for the next five years, and how difficult it would be at times. I guess if I knew that, I probably wouldn't have signed up in the first place. But I'm glad I did. God used uh, my experiences serving to meet some very real needs that these boys had. And I was glad to do that. Uh, but what amazed me was how my service there helped me to grow in my spiritual life. And I just want to make an observation before I move on about this. As I look back at my younger self 30 years ago, uh, I find that being open to serve today has not gotten easier for me as I've gotten older. I, I find that I was kind of more willing to do it even before and didn't really count the cost as much as I do today. Um, 
And, you know, I had a discussion with my friend uh, uh, Meyer a little while back, and we were talking about how Christians should be eager to serve. And we both laughed at her instinctual uh, kind of response to that. She went, oh, what? Serve? All I want to do when I'm done work is go home, put on pajamas, and curl up on the couch and read a book. And I was kind of like, yeah, I can relate to that. So I think it is true that simply being willing to serve is not always an easy thing. We need to ask God to have an unselfish heart and to, not all, and to not look away when we see a need. We need to be intentional about seeking out the needs of others and being ready to serve. I'm inspired by the intentionality that St. Francis uh, demonstrated way back in the 13th century around serving. And I just want to read a quote again from this book, The Lessons of St. Francis, that highlights the importance that service was for uh, Francis and also what his attitude was towards him. And here's the quote. But one of the most revealing snapshots of Francis's approach towards servant leadership is found in one brief sentence. He brought along a broom to clean the churches. For Francis, preaching wasn't a chance to be a clerical celebrity or a Bible-expounding big shot. Rather, his visits to churches throughout Italy gave him an opportunity to serve in a disarmingly humble way by sweeping dirt and dust out of the houses of God. So I'm going to finish my first point and leave you with that thought. So a second reason why we should be serving. Jesus asks us to serve because it cultivates humility and builds character. So I'm going to turn to Philippians now and look at a verse to kind of encourage us as we consider this point. Uh, and this is what Paul had to say to the Philippians. Do, not, uh, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, the level, I think the level of impact our service can have on others and also on ourselves depends in large part how we go about doing it. The impact of our actions will be diminished if we serve someone else with the expectation that we will be, uh, that the favor will be returned. Or if we're serving someone else to be recognized by others or maybe to even be envied by others. So does that mean that we shouldn't be serving if we're having these feelings of pride, or in our mind's eye, we're starting to see ourselves as better, maybe even than the people that we're serving? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's human nature to feel that. Uh, and I think if it were the case, I don't think I'd ever be able to serve anybody for a prolonged period of time, because these thoughts creep into my mind. But I think what we need to do is to ask God to transform our hearts as we are serving and being obedient to him. You know, my later years in high school, I had a chance to serve in an organization called Respite Services. The, the goal of this organization was to train and equip a group of volunteers to provide a break for parents who had developmentally uh, challenged children. I have no idea how I got involved with them. Um, you know, it was, it was back even when we didn't have to do 40 hours of community service to get our high school diploma, which I think, by the way, is a great idea. So I can't remember how I got involved, but I ended up at the training session. And, and quickly after they had done kind of an introduction to everybody, they put us in the breakout groups. 
And the breakup group I went into, uh, this person came out, the leader of the group came out with a, an infant mannequin and a catheter. And I started looking around going, hmm, what's this all about? And they started showing us how to, to, to insert a catheter into an infant. And I was like, I would like to see my face back then. It must have been pure terror. Um, anyway, I, I kind of put up my hand sheepishly and said, I don't think maybe I'm in the right place here. And when the, when the leader looked around and saw that everybody else uh, in the room was an older woman who I think they all had had children, they, she, she agreed and said, yeah, I think maybe you're not in the right spot. So anyway, they moved me over into another group, and, uh, and it was the right group for me. And I got matched up with a, with a, a young man. His name was, well, his name still is Chris. His name is Chris. He was, uh, he was a, um, uh, at that time, a boy just a year or two younger than me. And we really hit it off. We had a great relationship. I remember the first summer, uh, we went out and did things. I'd come and pick him up once a week. His mom was very appreciative of the break. And, you know, I taught him how to ride a bicycle. I, I taught him how to fish. And he really had a lot of enjoyment about that. And I was starting to feel pretty good about myself and what I was doing here. Then fall came, and his mom and him uh, announced to me that he had joined the Special Olympics uh, cross-country ski team. And I said, wow, wow, now I'm really going to be able to teach him something because, uh, you know, I come from a Norwegian background. My, my grandfather's a ski jumping champion. My dad's a cross-country ski champion. I love skiing. I was already imagining how, you know, I was going to coach him and then I'd be at his race and encouraging his mediocre efforts at what he could do. And, and uh, anyway, <laughs> God had a plan. He gave us a lot of snow that winter. And uh, I found somebody's car, I, I borrowed somebody's car, I didn't, we didn't have a car where I lived at the time, and I drove Chris and I out to the North Bay Nordic Ski Club. It was the first time we were ever going to ski together, and what you need to know about the club is there's shorter trails, there's longer trails, there's a yellow trail that has lights, it's a kilometer long, it's super easy to ski. Then there's a series of four or five intermediate trails, and then there's the green trail. The green trail is 18 kilometers long. And uh, I'll just describe it like this. It's pretty challenging. I'd never skied it. When we got out there, Chris said, I want to do the green trail. I'm like, okay, sure, we'll do the green trail. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, he's not going to last even past the intermediate ones. So anyway, off we go. And I'm like, wow, he's skiing pretty well. And uh, we go past the yellow trail. We go past one intermediate trail and another and another. And then finally, there's only the green trail left. By this time, I'm sweating, uh, you know, immensely. Chris is sitting there with a big smile. Okay, let's keep going. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to keep going. And about two-thirds around the trail, I'm just gassed. I can barely breathe. And we get to the, f and Chris is already about 30 meters ahead of me. We get to the foot of a hill, and he just takes off. So in between gasps, I shout out, wait. So he waited for me at the top of the hill. So on my hands and knees, I crawl up there. And, uh, you know, we took our gloves off, our toques off. The steam is just coming off us. We're out in the middle of nowhere having a snack. And then I smile at Chris. He smiles at me. So I'm smiling at him because I'm so proud of what he's doing. But I'm also smiling because I feel just my pride dissipate off of me into the snow. And then I realized at that point that recognition or vanity had nothing to do with what I was doing here with Chris. I was grateful for the opportunity to serve Christ from that point on, and I took my responsibility with Chris so much more seriously after that, wanting him to know that I valued him and I valued the time we spent together. 
you know, it really took this situation for me to understand what Paul's words were saying to the Philippians. What it meant to really serve humbly without selfishness or conceit. And I think that's one of the most important reasons we need to be obedient to God and to step out from behind our stone walls and serve. And that's because, because God knows that we don't learn best from reading about something or from being told something, but it is through life's experiences that we truly learn what God has for us. Service truly is a catalyst for spiritual growth. Growth. Okay, that's all for point number two. I'm going to move on to point number three. Jesus asks us to serve because it teaches us how to love others. So I'm going to flip to Galatians now and look at a verse that speaks to this. So I'm at Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is telling the believers in Galatia that they're free. And they're free because uh, that Jesus died for them on the cross and paid their penalty for their sins. This message certainly applies to us today. This means that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe and that he will be our provider in this world and in the next. But the problem with freedom is that it gives us choices. In this case uh, that Paul is illustrating, we can either indulge the sinful nature, and that is to do whatever we want for ourselves, or Paul offers an antidote to this and suggests that we should provide, do service for others in love. Well, this is a morning of stories, so I'll tell another story. I became a beaver leader uh, a long time ago when my son, who's just turned 24, became a beaver. And uh, the reason I did it was because I was told if there weren't parents that stepped up, they would close the program. And then, uh, and then they also told me, you know, uh, scouting is only, the commitment's only one hour a week. So I said, okay, I'll step up. But you know, that was just a lie. <laughs> so I found this badge in the, ba the badge box a couple of years later of all these people laughing and saying, one hour a week? Yeah, so scouting has become, uh, and still is for me, a, a major uh, uh, kind of commitment that I take on year after year. And it, yeah, I mean, it's certainly not an hour a week. It's six, seven weekends a year and, uh, and meetings every week and planning. And, um, but you know, my kids grew up. They went through Cubs and Scouts. I followed them. I became a scout leader. And I stayed with the program long after they left. And, you know, there, there's different reasons. I mean, I, I love the outdoors. And it, it, scouting allows me to do things that maybe I wouldn't do on my own, like winter camping, building 20-foot-tall structures with string and poles, and setting stuff on fire. Um, I also, you know, get a lot of satisfaction at seeing kids come in at the end of grade 5, beginning of grade 6, work through a program and leave at the end of grade nine and, and, and just see the progress they make as individuals. And these are all some of the reasons I stay, but being a uh, scout leader is difficult. Every year I, I ask myself why I do it, but I think now the main reason that I keep doing it is that I, I, I see how it's teaching me on a regular basis um, how to serve others and not to indulge my, so, my uh, sinful nature. And I can tell you 
that there's no other experience in, in scouting that brings this to mind, and it really does every year. Uh, there's no other experience like winter camping in a tent at minus 15 degrees Celsius. And I can tell you exactly when it happens. It happens just as I'm going to bed. Because if you know anything about winter camping, you can't go to bed wearing the clothing you have because if there's any moisture in it, you'll never make it through the night. Yeah, I see people nodding. So you have to get changed. So it's at that moment when I'm kneeling in my tent with the snow underneath, freezing my knees, and I'm getting ready to put on my sleeping gear that I really think, yeah, I'm outside of my comfort zone here. And, I, you know, I really get a sense, not just in that moment, but it, it just always impacts me that, you know, God is using service to shape my character. So, anyway, I'll leave you with that for point number three, and we'll move on to point number four now. Jesus asks us to serve because it is the most effective and credible way to be a light in the world. So, I'm going to turn now to 1 Peter and look at a, a text that will shed some light on this uh, idea and was a bit of my inspiration here. And this, is what it, this is what he's saying. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised uh, through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. There is a lot of information in this verse, and the first thing I want to point out is that this verse says that we need to serve in God's strength, in the strength that God provides us. So we can draw on that strength through the, the spiritual disciplines of prayer and reading scripture. We can also um, reach out and uh, make use of God's strength by asking God's spirit to empower us. And that would be a whole other sermon on its own discussing that point. But without God's involvement with our service, it can never fully accomplish what God wants. Secondly, our service should, be, should bring about the praise of God, or at least point people in the direction of God. Uh, but the tricky thing is here is that this can only happen if we serve in the strength that God provides to us. And God can provide us the strength to administer grace to those uh, that we serve in its various forms, like the text says. And I think this is key, because it's through God's grace to us that we should be inspired to provide grace to other people. And I believe service is really kind of the vehicle that we can use to provide grace to others. So if we serve for the right reasons, with our hearts aligned with God, the recipient of our service will receive grace, and this is why. I think it's because there, are, there would be no strings attached, attached to our acts of service. The service is, is done as a gift that doesn't need to be earned or repaid. The service is complete, completed uh, in humility and demonstrates to the person being served that he or she is valued and has worth. And finally, uh, the person that's being served would be encouraged because you're actually meeting a real need that they need met. And you know, when I think back to Hunter's example, I think it checks all of these boxes because he brought me the treats uh, because he thought that I would really enjoy them. He did not expect anything in return from me. He did it for me. Um, 
His snack towards me was completed with no pretense. And he made me feel valued. Like I, he just made me smile when he did that that day. And the snack actually did meet uh, a real need that I had because I was on my third rotation for games and the energy level was running a bit low. So it kind of gave me a little boost. So that is why Hunter's act of service, when you break it down, uh, was so impactful to me. Um, and you know, our acts of service, when done in God's strength, um, can have the same impact on those around us as we deliver grace to those that we're serving. The last thing I wanted to mention about this verse was the idea of gifts. You know, Peter says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And God has given us a unique set of gifts. Even the body of Christ is described as a body with different parts that have different function. And I don't want to underplay the importance of the gifts that God has given us. But I think at the same time, and I'm, you know, I hope you know I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody here. I think we need to be careful not to limit what we can do with God's help because we have a too narrow view of what our gifts are. And I think we need to think sometimes when God presents a need to us, even if we see it not really matching our gift set, that maybe he wants us to help anyway. Sometimes service is difficult and uh, God wants to use it to shape us, to build us up, to grow us spiritually. You know, I speak these words with uh, a bit of fear and trembling because, you know, I've spoken already of things I've done in the past to serve. I've served with uh, Big Brothers, Respite Services. I'm currently still uh, serving with Scouts. Uh, but recently, God has called me to serve this church as an elder. And uh, i got to say, there are days when I don't really feel fully equipped to do that. Uh, but I really feel like God has called me to do this. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I really need to step out in faith. And do that. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to what he has for me to learn and what he has to grow in my life through this. Now, as I start to wrap up my message this morning, I'm going to switch gears for a minute. It might seem a little out of context, uh, but hopefully if everything works okay, I'll tie it all together. So just please stick with me. You know, this is a challenging time uh, to be a Christian living here in Canada because we now live in a post-Christian society. Our society views Christianity with skepticism because the teachings of Jesus in the Bible are often countercultural to what our society believes is right and wrong. And uh, society also views Christianity with suspicion and some disdain uh, because of some of the things they've seen happen. Uh, you know, we only have to look at the example of the abuse of indigenous uh, children at the hands of so-called Christians in residential schools, or we can look around and see story after story of narcissistic Christian leaders that take advantage of the people surrounding them. So not only are people angry at the church, they don't see that the church has any relevance for their lives. So how should we respond? Well, I want to share another quote from this book, Lessons of St. Francis, that, that astounded me when I wrote it because it, it seems so fitting for what we're facing today. And this is how it's described in the book, uh, you know, what Francis was up against in his approach. Francis's approach back in the 13th century also succeeded with people who saw it in action. There was widespread skepticism about the institutional church during the Middle Ages 
as in our own time. The medieval church was wealthy, powerful, corrupt, and hollow. Preaching the church's doctrine would have gotten nowhere without a simultaneous visible demonstration. Seeing faith in action helped people to believe. In this way, Francis made believers of many. So I guess it's true that there's really nothing new under the sun. So maybe there is something that we here at Grace Community Church can learn from this monk, uh, this monk uh, back in the 13th century. Imagine a community of believers committed to individual and corporate prayer and study of the Bible, deepening their knowledge of Scripture and deepening their relationship with God within the walls of the church. Then, imagine that these believers step outside the stone walls of the church, brick walls, I guess, here, but stone walls, to actively seek out the needs of their neighbors around them and to have the courage to address these needs when they can. They serve others in a disarming way with integrity and no pretense, without discriminating, meeting real needs. When serving alone or with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they seek out God's strength and wisdom and use service as a catalyst to learn to be humble, gracious, and loving through these experiences God uses to teach them. They are not astonished and resentful when they experience pushback from the culture, because Jesus said that this would be par for the course. Instead, they are focused on Jesus, the source of their hope and joy, and on loving those around them through service. While culture may be quick to criticize them, the good deeds of the church would speak for themselves, and seeing their faith in action, people would believe. I don't know, that's kind of a little vision that I, that I hope to see, and I think we're well on our way here, but that I would hope to see come to complete fruition in our body here at some point as we challenge ourselves with the spiritual disciplines of prayer, reading scripture, and then serving. Um, so I'm going to leave you as I'm wrapping up this morning with a quote from St. Francis you would have never guessed. On the balance between prayer Now, he calls this next element contemplation, but I I would kind of equate that to study of scripture and reflection and of service. So a balance between prayer, contemplation, and service. And this is how um, Francis viewed this. And hopefully it can be helpful for you to consider the things I spoke of this morning. Contemplation and prayer are like an oasis in a dry desert. Through prayer, we store up a huge reservoir of water. Our service is a conduit for delivering the water. But once our reservoir is depleted, we need to return to our oasis so we don't wind up stranded in the desert without water. This is the picture of the life-giving balance between prayer and service. So I'm just going to close now uh, with a prayer from St. Francis. Uh, And I, I hope we can make it our prayer this morning even though it is his words. So let us pray together. God, you made me. You love me. What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? Who would you have me serve? Show me how I can be your eyes of compassion, your heart of love, and your hands reaching out to this world. Amen.